Welcome into Lockdown Blackhawks for Friday, May 1st, 2020. My name's Jay Zawoski. Locked On Blackhawks is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for yesterday's great edition of Talk Back Tuesday on a Thursday. I know it's been a crazy busy week in Blackhawks land. So today, a little bit of time to stretch the legs, take a deep breath, and talk about some other stuff while we wait for the next shoe to fall in the John McDonough Blackhawks front office saga. If you want to get in touch with me, with the podcast, very easy to do. Voicemail 708-653-0572. Email is LockedOnBlackhawks at gmail.com. The show's Twitter account is at LO underscore Blackhawks. My personal account at jayzawaski 670 and the Madhouse podcast can be found at Madhouse Pod. I know yesterday was the feedback talk back episode of the week, uh, but I got a really good email that I want to address in the time being because I don't want to wait till Tuesday to talk about it because I'm sure John, who sent the email, is not the only person with this question. First of all, he says some really nice things about the podcast, which I appreciate. He says, my talk back has to do with the premise of this statement. This is a quote for me. I said, if we use the Cubs as a model, which we do because this is kind of what we idealize as the way an organization should be run, he, Eddie Olchek, would be the Theo Epstein. So John asks, can you explain why the Cubs organizational setup is best? What results suggest it would be an improvement to the Blackhawks arrangement? Would what works best, past tense for the Cubs in baseball, transfer well to hockey? Are there other organizations in the NHL set up like the Cubs? If so, how successful have they been? I understand that you're a Cubs fan and that four straight playoff runs, three consecutive NLCS appearances, and a World Series merit positive attention. However, from an outsider's perspective, I find it odd that a franchise with nine straight playoff appearances, five trips to the conference finals, three in a row, 2013 through 15, and three outright championships during a similar era would take this ideal as a given. Johnny S. from the South Loop. John, thanks for the question. Appreciate that. So... Here's why I say the Cubs are an ideal organizational setup. What I like about it is that the business and the baseball are separate. Now, of course, baseball's budget is set by the business side. I get that. That's set by ownership. That's going to be every organization. And we saw the Cubs this past offseason sort of, I don't want to say cry poor, but you know what I'm saying. They didn't add a lot uh, salary-wise headed into what was supposed to be this season. Whether that season will happen, we don't know. But what I find ideal is you have a very good business side of things with Crane Kenny. And I know people don't like Crane Kenny because for a long time, Crane Kenny was seeping into the baseball side of things. Once Theo Epstein was hired, that stopped. Theo is the baseball guy. He is the baseball czar. And under him is Jed Hoyer and Jason McLeod and all those people. And while Jed Hoyer is the GM and has to go to Theo about making moves, they are working in tandem. They're working with each other. What I outlined about on yesterday's podcast about the whole dynamic of John McDonough, Al McIsaac, and Stan Bowman, and Bowman having to say, hey, can I do this? And then they're, nah. It's a different thing. Epstein and Hoyer and McLeod are on the same page with things. They all have the same philosophy as far as building a baseball team goes. They value the same things. You heard about it for years, the Cubs way. They wrote a manual about how the Cubs from top to bottom should be run. That, to me, is what makes it ideal. 
you have two departments independent of each other working separate from each other on what they should be working on. So you look around Wrigley Field, right? All the success the Cubs have had, maybe they should have had a little more. Sure, fair enough. That's fine. But they've been this has been the best era of Cubs baseball ever, at least in the modern era. You can look back and check it. It's true, okay? Not only that, the business side of the Cubs is growing hugely. Take a look outside the ballpark. Take a look at Gallagher Way. Take a look at all the businesses opening along Clark Street and hotels and everything. The Cubs as an organization are thriving because business does business, baseball does baseball, and that's how it is. That's the ideal. That's what I want. And I want those guys or girls, whoever they are, on the hockey side of things to be on the same page. I don't want it to be a power struggle. The Cubs have a clearly defined organizational hierarchy. Epstein, Hoyer, the rest. But just like it was McDonough, McIsaac, Bowman, McDonough shouldn't be in that mix. If Bowman and McIsaac work together and are on the same page, that's fine. But the fact that Al McIsaac, for all intents and purposes, was a lieutenant of John McDonough, that's not good. You need the people making hockey decisions to have the same hockey philosophy. Okay, and you can do that with a old school sort of scouting mind like Eddie Olchek and an analytics guy. You could still have the same vision for a hockey team with different sort of philosophies on how to obtain it, right? Like, okay, here's the math I'm using to see why, you know, player X is better than player Y to accomplish this style of hockey. Okay, and they work together to build the organization they're trying to build. That can work, but it's got to be same page. It's got to be hands-off from the business side and, truthfully, if if at all possible, from the ownership side. And I don't get any indication that Rocky Wirtz is the kind of guy who wants to meddle in hockey decisions. Hey, if you're like me, you probably start thinking about what to eat for dinner while you're eating lunch. I was doing that today. I was having pizza rolls for lunch. My wife said, what do you want for dinner? I said, chicken parm. Boom, that's what we're doing. I love food. That's why I love using Postmates. But I kind of love them even more right now because I can get food delivered without leaving the house or even opening the door. Given what's going on in the world, they created non-contact deliveries. So now when I order from local restaurants, everything gets left right outside my door. They also have Postmates pickups, which I've been using to order takeout from my favorite local restaurants. You guys need to be supporting your neighborhood spots right now. I've only been ordering local because it's a great way to support my community. And Postmates doesn't just deliver burgers and sushi. They actually make my life easier by picking up everything I need from Walgreens and 7-Eleven and dropping it off outside my door. Just download Postmates on iOS or Android. Find your favorites and get anything you want delivered within the hour. And for a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use code LOCKEDON. That's code LOCKEDON for $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. It is Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks so much for being part of it. I do very much appreciate it, especially... With no hockey happening, uh, very much appreciate 
everyone tuning in. I uh, want to add a little something on to what I just said about John's email. Because he made a good point, too, that, look, the Hawks had more success than any sports franchise in town. That's for damn sure. Uh, as much as any team in the NHL over the last 10, 15 years. So why all of a sudden am I not happy with their model? Well, the reason is because over the last few years, the model changed. And John McDonough started getting more and more involved. And that business side started leaking over to the hockey side more and more and more. And that's when things started to go south. That's why with all this information we've gathered over the last, what, he was fired on Monday. So over the last five days, it sort of changed the way I have to look at things and changed the way I have to evaluate things. Was Stan Bowman allowed to build this team the way he wanted to? It doesn't sound like it. And I said this on yesterday's podcast, but I know not everybody listens. I'm not saying that Stan Bowman should be retained. I'm not saying he should remain the GM. However, I will say that I think now with this new knowledge, the lack of direction that we've seen from the Hawks over the last few seasons makes a little bit more sense. If John McDonough was influencing hockey decisions, then it makes sense that Stan Bowman you know, it, it paint, it, I guess it sheds, I, what I'm trying to say is it sheds a little more light on why things look so weird and why se- things seem so disconnected over the last three or four seasons. So that, see, and that's the other thing is we're trying to think of why John McDonald was fired, right? And we still don't truly have that answer because Rocky Wirtz hasn't spoken. But I don't know what Rocky's level of involvement is day to day, right? He is the overseer. He's the owner Rocky has hired some of the best and brightest on both sides of the of hockey, the business side, the hockey side, to hopefully build the best franchise he can. And it's worked out mostly, as John pointed out, for the last 15 years or whatever it's been, 13 years since they hired John McDonough. Things have been going pretty well. So Rocky seems to be someone who delegates pretty well. And it's been widely reported that Rocky decided to make this decision during this quarantine time where he's had some time to think, had some time to reflect, probably had some time to gather some new information that he hadn't gathered be- that he hadn't gathered before. And yes, it's true, John McDonough and Danny Wirtz don't get along on a lot of things, and that's fine. Is that reason to fire John McDonough? I don't know. Was there it doesn't seem to be that there was some sort of incident that happened, like a flashpoint moment that led to the firing, like immediate dismissal sort of a thing. And if I think if that was the case, the Hawks would not have let John McDonough issue a statement after his firing through their PR firm, through their PR department, rather. So maybe Rocky, when weighing all these things we know about McDonough, the meddling, the not great work environment, et cetera, et cetera. If Rocky started to find out like, wait a minute, John was really influencing hockey stuff that much. Maybe that was the final nail in the coffin for John McDonough. Because look, the hockey stuff has not been working lately. And say what you want about Stan Bowman. Up until they won that Stanley Cup in 2015, he seemed to know what he was doing pretty well. Right? Sure, there were some moves you liked, some you didn't like, some contracts you liked, some you didn't like. But that's when Stan's, you know, seemed to kind of, the Seabrook thing happened, the Seabrook deal happened, and then 
Some of the moves were weird. You know, some bad roster decisions here and there. And you have to wonder now, how involved was John McDonough in influencing things and stopping things and starting things that didn't need starting? That's the question to me. And now I think we're going to find out, you know, eventually when we see how what the Hawks choose to do with how they structure the organization and the people they bring in, I think when we see that, that will shed some light on potentially what the problems were with John McDonough. You're listening to Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Jay Zawoski. Thanks for tuning in. All right, we've talked about John McDonough. A couple sort of lighter things I want to call your attention to. First of all, today on The Athletic, or yesterday, Thursday on The Athletic, Mark Lazarus and Scott Powers published a uh, sort of a survey about the greatest Hawks jersey of all time. It's really cool. I'm going to put it in the comments of this podcast, in the notes of this podcast, so you can check it out. I'm not going to do it on the podcast because it's a visual sort of a thing. You need to actually see the jerseys I'm discussing to get to it. But check that out. Go into the notes of this podcast, and you'll find that link to the athletic story. And you can see I, I ranked all of them, but I my comments weren't involved with all of them. But I think you'll enjoy it. I'm in there. Sam Fells is on there. Uh, Jeff Osborne from, uh, from the rink. Lots of people uh, joined in on this thing, so it was a lot of fun. So another thing I saw pop up on Twitter. From Everything Hockey, that's the account, uh, which I've never actually followed before. It's EH Clothing on Twitter. They said, who's your favorite player that was drafted in the first round of the 2009 NHL draft? Let me read you the first round of the 2009 NHL draft. Number one overall to the Islanders, John Tavares. Number two overall to the Lightning, Victor Hedman. Number three overall to the Avalanche, Matt Duchesne. Number four overall to the Thrashers, Evander Kane. Number five overall to the Kings, Braden Shen. Number six overall to the Coyotes, Oliver ekman Larson. Number seven overall to the Leafs, Nazem Kadri. Eighth overall to Dallas, Scott Glennie. It's the first guy who I don't remember. <laughs> Ninth pick, Jared Cowan to the Ottawa Senators. Tenth pick, Mag- Magnus PRV Svensson to the Oilers. 11th pick, Ryan Ellis to the Predators. 12th pick, Calvin DeHaan to the Islanders. 13th pick, Zach Cassian to the Sabres. 14, Dmitry Kulikov to the Panthers. 15, Peter Holland to the Ducks. 16, Nick Letty to the Wild. 17, David Runblad to the Blues. 18th, Louis LeBlanc to the Canadians. 19, Chris Kreider to the Rangers. 20, Jacob Josephson to the Devils. 21, John Moore to the Blue Jackets. 22, Jordan Schroeder, or Schrader, is it Schrader, Schroeder? I forget, to the uh, Vancouver Canucks. 23, Tim Erickson to the Flames. 24, Marcus Johansson to the Caps. 25, Jordan Caron to the Bruins. 26, Kyle Palmieri to the Ducks. 27, Philip Paradis to the Hurricanes, a future Blackhawk. 28, Dylan Olsen to the Blackhawks. 29, Carter Ashton to the Lightning. And number 30, Simon DePrez to the Penguins. That is a stacked first round of a draft. Like three or four of those guys fizzled out, didn't do anything. Everyone on here had a decent NHL career, though, otherwise. Even if they weren't star players, they played in the league for a while. 
this is a solid draft. My answer to who my favorite was in this round is Oliver Ekman Larson. I've always loved Oliver Ekman Larson. I always envisioned a day that he would be a Blackhawk. It never happened, but uh, I just love that player. I'm interested. Who's your favorite player from this draft? I know a really obvious answer will be John Tavares or Victor Hedman, but there's some really good players picked. I wonder if you could do this with every draft in history. I doubt it. This one seems like as far as success rate, like NHL success rate, this one seems really, really high. So pretty cool. I like doing little things like that, looking back on things uh, that I find on Twitter uh, during the course of the day. Good stuff on there. And one more cool thing to check out on The Athletic. This was published on Wednesday by Jesse Granger. It is the story of how the Vegas Golden Knights came up with their name and their logo. It is a long read, but it's really, really cool. Like, how does this, and now with the new Seattle franchise starting up soon, you can sort of see behind the scenes on how these teams select their colors, their logos, everything. Uh, it's really, really fascinating. I love stuff like that. I'm a big, like, uniform geek, and I know I mentioned the thing I did for The Athletic, but um, I have to tell you, after evaluating like all those Hawks jerseys over the years, I still, the best one is whatever iteration of the current jersey, the road white Hawks jersey. And I know people are like, red is cooler than white, white's boring. Go find an authentic Hawks jersey, a white one, and really look at it. Look at the way the colors pop. Look at the way the red and black trim on the numbers stand out. The patch on the sleeve, the tomahawk patch, looks so much better on the white jersey. It's just absolutely beautiful. It is my favorite Hawks jersey, and I think, and Sam Fells said this in the article, part of that is that for when I was developing as a hockey fan, that's what the Hawks wore on at home games. So, and and as most people know, home games were not on TV back then. So my only chance to see the white jersey was when I was at a Hawks game. So maybe that's part of why it feels more special to me and maybe why I like that one a little bit more than the red. But really, I've got authentic Hawks jerseys in all colors. That was the first thing I did when I had like expendable income for the first time in my life. <laughs> it's like I went and uh you know, I went and bought some Hawks jerseys cuz I'm stupid. Um but I bought some reds, bought some whites and man, there's no comparison when they're side by side. The white Hawks jersey is absolutely I'm doing a chef's kiss, a perfect hockey jersey. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Lockdown Blackhawks. Thank you so much for tuning in. Reminder, the next time we talk, it's going to be Talk Back Tuesday. So hit me up, 708-653-0572. The email is lockedonblackhawks at gmail.com. Send me a tweet at LO underscore Blackhawks or at Jay Zawoski 670. It's been a big week for both of my Hawks podcasts. The Madhouse podcast had 8,500 downloads in two days, which is absolutely mind-blowing. I believe that that is the highest two-day total we've ever had, and that includes the Joel Quenville firing, which was the biggest up until then. So if you're a Lockdown listener that hasn't checked out the Madhouse podcast, please do. I think you'll really enjoy it. But if you're someone that listens to both, thank you so much. It really it means the world to me. Uh, this is not easy to do this time of year uh, with nothing going on. I really do appreciate it. And one more thing I've been meaning to mention, you may notice I let the music beds play a little longer today. 
it's because I wanted you to hear him. I want to thank uh, my guy, Greg Henkin. He is my guitar teacher. He wrote all the music beds for Lockdown Blackhawks and for the Madhouse podcast. If you're looking to pick up a skill during this quarantine, Greg is available. He does all of his lessons online. I've never met Greg in person, yet I consider him a really good friend. That's how great of a teacher he is. That's how good of a guy he is. So head to gregsguitarlessons.com if you're interested in taking lessons uh, and get in touch. You can do virtual lessons over Skype or whatever. It's really, really great. gregsguitarlessons.com. Greg, thank you so much for supplying all the music you hear on Lockdown Blackhawks and the Madhouse podcast. With that, I want to wrap things up. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Once again, thanks for your support. We'll talk to you on Tuesday for Talkback Tuesday here on Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.